Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Well, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We are continuing in our series on the life of David. We're going to talk about how do we stay faithful when things don't go our way. How do we stay faithful when the world doesn't work the way we want it to? And uh, really, the, we're going we're gonna to be able to just be blown away by God's kindness today as we look at one of my favorite little guys in Scripture that you've probably never heard about, a guy named Mephibosheth. And we're going to be talking about uh, kind of the key to a resilient life and what it means. And so let me read with you. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, chapter 9 and we're going to start, we're going to really just begin in verse 1, and, and then I'll, I want to explain in a little bit just why this chapter's here, because it seems to kind of come out of, uh, out of nowhere. But here's what we're going to see. To live a resilient life, you need to be strengthened by the loyal love of God. If you are going to live a resilient life in the midst of a crazy world, you need to be strengthened by the loyal love of God and his grace. So 2 Samuel chapter 9 says, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled both his feet. And the king said, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then David, the king, sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And the king, David said to him, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall, be, shall till the land for him and bring him in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is the story of Mephibosheth. And it's an interesting story. And it's interesting that it shows up right here. And I wanna wanna talk about that here in just a little bit, why it shows up. Because it seems like a story that kind of comes out of nowhere. Let me review. We've been out for a couple weeks. Let me review and kind of remind you where we've been in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 5 
we, we see that David is installed as king and he becomes, he's put on the throne. And so he's given this kind of, this position as the, this king that God has anointed and positioned there. You get to chapter six, in 2 Samuel 6, you see this, uh, David goes and, and you see this Abrahamic covenant that's, that's fulfilled. This promise that was given to Abraham way back in Genesis is fulfilled through David because he takes over Jerusalem. And so David sets up in Jerusalem and finally takes over that most important city that was promised to the Israelites in the promised land that was given uh, when, when God gave the, the, the promise of the promised land to the Israelites way back in Genesis. So that's the Abrahamic covenant in chapter six. Chapter seven, you see David uh, goes and he gets the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and he brings it back and he restores it to its rightful place there in Jerusalem. And so here you see that the Mosaic covenant is fulfilled, that David follows the Mosaic law and does what's supposed to and recognizes the holiness of God because one of uh, the people that had died because he touched the Ark, you may remember that memorable story. Well, David brings it. So now you've got uh, David is king in chapter five, David fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant in chapter six, David fulfilling the Mosaic covenant in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter six. In seven, you get to David fulfilling the, or God giving David the promises of the Davidic covenant. And so David fulfills now the promises of a Davidic line um, that, that will reign on, on the throne forever. Now you get to chapter eight, and it says that, that David um, had really wiped out all the other nations. There were no more enemies that he had peace in the land. And it says um, in verse 15, so David reigned over all Israel and David administered justice and equity to all his people. So do you see the flow that's taking place here? Um, David's put on the throne. David's fulfilling the promises of Abraham. David's fulfilling the promises to Moses. God gives David himself promises that his lineage will reign on the throne forever. Now he has peace in the land and he reigns in righteousness as a man after God's own heart who's now upon the throne and has the ability to influence the whole nation. That's where we've been. All those are huge, big things that are happening in the life of David and the life of Israel. Then you get to chapter nine and all of a sudden you go Mephibosheth. Why the shift? What we're gonna see in this passage and why this, is, why this is here and why it's so important is because you get to see what God's heart is like. When a man after God's own heart is on the throne reigning in equity and justice, this is what you see. And what do you see? You see the kindness of God and you see his compassion. So let's, let's look at Mephibosheth and think about this guy um, <clears throat> and really what we know about him. Now, the first mention of Mephibosheth takes place about, uh, in, in 2 Samuel chapter four. And in that, we, we see what had to have been the saddest day in this guy's life. Uh, in 2 Samuel 4, it says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in both his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came to Jezreel. The news about Saul and Jonathan there is that they'd both been killed. The, that in the battle against the Philistines, they, uh, Jonathan and Saul had both been killed. And so the news comes back to, uh, back to home base. And as they hear the word that both his grandfather and his father have died, uh, his nurse scoops him up knowing that he's in danger as well and begins to run out of the city and she does, she drops him and he's crippled on both his feet. Probably had, they had compound fractures in both feet which they, didn't, they couldn't set and couldn't really fix, but fix from. So from that day on as a five-year-old boy, um, it says that as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth. And what a traumatic day in the life of a little boy. You lost your grandfather, you lost your father. You lost the mobility of both your feet. And I think for us, you know, I look at it and I think of the trauma of losing a, grand, a, grand, a parent and a grandparent. I think for a little boy who's five, the immediate thing is he just lost the ability to run, to dance, to jump, to play, to race. All the imaginary um, games that he played in his driveway uh, where he came out and was like, 
you know, the victories and all those things now stopped. He wasn't able to do all those things a normal little boy could do. And I think of the tragedy that compounded with the fact that he lost his family. Then they also leave, and we know from other passages that they moved to what were called the Transjordan lands. And so they moved across the Jordan River outside the land. Um, and so they're, they're living uh, further, far away. So he's also resettled in another place. You notice the, the place that uh, Zeba says where Mephibosheth has gone to live. He says he's in Lodabar. Lodabar is a really strange term. It means no land or no pasture. And so basically it's a place of nothingness. It's a place of nothing good. It's a place where you can grow nothing. It's a place where there's, uh, there's kind of a, a, just a sense of nothingness that's there. And think about Mephibosheth. This is like kind of every fairy tale you hear where the king's, uh, the king's heir gets run off and becomes an exile and is living apart from everything, forgotten, abandoned, and distant away from everything that he's known and treasured and, and valued in life to that point. Now, in that, we see that Mephibosheth's left there and he begins to, to build a family. Uh, he actually has a son. We, we see that he's got a little son named Micah. Um, and yet in, here in, in this place, he's having to carve out a life for himself. But he's a, we also know that he's a dependent. It says that he lives in someone else's house. And what it, what it means there and the reason why that's there in, in Ziba's under, expl, explanation to David is he's saying he can't provide for himself. He's a cripple. And so he's helpless. He's dependent upon uh, another family to provide for him. And yet he's got a family and he's got this life he's trying to carve out for himself in the land of nothingness. Now, how would you feel as the years passed if you were Mephibosheth? He probably feels like a lot of us. He's just trying to make it day by day, trying to figure out how to put food on the table, trying to figure out how to raise his kid, trying to figure out how to navigate the crazy world that he lives in. And in the midst of this, here's what we begin to see. David asks, uh, David shows up and in the midst of this world, David begins to, to pursue Mephibosheth. Now I wanna step back for just a second and just remark, do you, just ask you a question. Do you ever feel forgotten? Do you ever feel abandoned? Do you ever feel alone? Do you ever feel like God doesn't see where you are and, and who you are and everything that's going on in your life? See, Mephibosheth easily could have felt that way and probably did. And yet miles away, God's been... God's been working sovereignly in these two paths and somehow they're going to converge. And so miles away, Mephibosheth, unbeknownst to Mephibosheth, the king, David, is beginning to ask a question. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show mercy to? And God's still at work in his sovereignty. And David's two questions. David asks us two questions here, right? And we, we're gonna, they both reveal something really important for us, something we need to understand. And his two questions, he says, um, is there anyone that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And then the second question, he says, is there anyone I can show not just kindness to, but the kindness of God to? And in those two things, we're gonna see two really important things for us. And together in those, those are the motivators that are driving and compelling David forward. Now, the word which is in each of these passages or each of those questions, when it says kindness, sometimes we think of kindness as kind of this mamby-pamby soft sort of a thing. It really is, a, it's an important word for us to understand. The word kindness there is actually a Hebrew word called hesed. And that term is used more than 250 times in the Old Testament and becomes an incredibly important thing. Other ways that it's translated, it's hard to translate in English with a single term, but you'll see translations where it's kindness, steadfast love, 
faithful love, loyal love, covenant love, loving kindness, or just generally love. But it's this weighty idea that's really hard for us to, to put together in one English term because it combines kind of this, this generosity and kindness with this strength and resolve. And it puts those, th- those two things together. And so in some ways you might think of it as unrelenting kindness bound up in an unbreakable promise. When you think of hesed, that's what you need to think of. It's unrelenting kindness bound up in an unbreakable promise. Now, in 2 Samuel 9, this verse shows up three times in 12 short verses. And, and really, it's, it's not just a sentimental feeling or vague positivity kind of pointed in a general direction like we say in our world, like I'm sending positive vibes your way, but they have no, no power. They, they don't really do anything for you. Uh, Hesed is not like that. Hesed is, is really something that takes this kind of committed, dependable, ever-ready love and puts it together with a strength of, of a commitment and a resolve that won't back down. And so when David speaks of hesed in 2 Samuel 3, he qualifies this not just as his kindness, but the kindness of God or the hesed of God, the, the loyal love of God, the steadfast love of God. In fact, in Exodus 34, you go backwards, God revealed himself. When he revealed himself to the nation of Israel and to Moses, he gave a name. And when he gave his name, he said that he's abounding in hesed, keeping hesed for thousands. What he's saying is, I'm overflowing with this strong kindness that will be undenied towards you, my people. And is that news we need to hear? Is that something we need to let sink in? See, the heart of God beats with an impulsive longing to show steadfast love and kindness to others. It it flows out of his character. His his natural instinctual thing to do in life is to show off his kindness and his strong, faithful, loyal love to you. That's who God is at his core. When you reveal your name to someone and you introduce yourself, you you usually say something like, hi, I'm so-and-so, and then you follow that with some of the most important information about you, right? When God introduced himself to his people, he said, hi, I'm abounding in kindness. I'm overflowing with love for thousands upon thousands of people. That's what God wants us to know about him. That's what God foremost at the front of his mind says, you need to know, I give you an an unrelenting kindness with an unbreakable promise. And so when you feel forgotten, when you feel alone, when you feel betrayed, when you feel distant and abandoned, God says, I've not forgotten. And so David, miles away from, and totally unbeknownst to Mephibosheth, is asking the question, is there anyone left that I can show kindness to? Why? Because David experienced the kindness of God. When you experience the kindness of God, you wanna give the kindness of God. You see this over and over in scripture. David says, God showed Hesed to me, so I wanna show Hesed to someone else. That's, what, that's the way this, the natural pattern of life. And so uh, we see in, in the first question that David wants to show off the loyal love or the kindness of God to one of the descendants of Saul, the descendants of, David, of Jonathan. But in the other question, we see uh, kind of the other condition that's here. He says, that I may show him for kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, when David says he wants to demonstrate kindness for Jonathan's sake, he's referring to his friend from 1 Samuel. You guys remember remember the story. If you weren't here for our study of 1 Samuel, you may want to go back and listen to this because it really is instrumental in understanding this. But David takes the son of Saul. So King Saul was the first king of Israel. His Saul, Jonathan, naturally would have been in line to take over the Saul, uh, take over the throne when Saul passed. 
And yet God came and anointed David, uh, this one he plucked up out of the fields as a shepherd boy and said, this is the one that I want to be king. And so Jonathan trusted the Lord and said, I'm not even going to claim the position that was mine as the heir of Saul. I'm gonna forsake that and renounce my right to the throne because I trust that God has called David to be a throne. And so this, these two struck up this friendship and in that friendship and in that bond, um, they forged a covenant relationship. And so what we see in 1 Samuel 20 is that Saul, uh, Jonathan begins to see as, as Saul is David's enemy and Saul begins to fear that David's gonna rise up against him. Uh, Saul, you may remember, hurled a spear at David twice and tried to kill him. And so they become enemies. And Jonathan is the son of Saul, the friend of David is stuck in the middle. And he looks and he says, he says David, I, I'm gonna go and I will see what my father's gonna do. If he's gonna harm you, I'm gonna warn you. But whenever you... Whenever God fulfills his promise to you, whenever you become king, whenever you are on the throne and God's rid you of all your enemies, remember me. Show the kindness of God to me and to my descendants. Look at this at uh, 1 Samuel 20. He says, David, may the Lord be with you, when you, when you uh, as he's been with my father, saying, when, when you rise to the throne, and I know you will because God promised you will, may the Lord be with you as he was with my father. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love. That, that steadfast love, that's hesed. That's the same word as kindness. That's the, the same word that was used there. If I'm still alive, show me the hesed of the Lord that I might not die. And do not cut off your hesed, your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So he says, David, in that day, when you rise to the throne, may you be blessed as my father was blessed because I believe God's called you to be the next king of Israel, not me. I'm renouncing my right. I want you to be king. And when that promise of God is fulfilled to you and God has cut off all your enemies from the face of the earth and you're seated on that throne, give, give to me and to my descendants the hesed of God, which God has given to you. God gave you hesed. You're gonna be king. Would you turn and show hesed to me too? And do you see that? And David promised that he would. And so he promised to, uh, to Jonathan that he would take care of him. See, in moments of turmoil and moments of doubt, David and Jonathan, where do they look for strength? They ran to the kindness of God. They ran to God's grace. They ran to his loyal love and steadfast love. Friends, we need to know that. When, when all hell breaks loose in the world, and there's one place you can go where you know without a doubt you can find kindness. In a harsh world, there's a place where you can always find loyal love. In a world that sometimes abandons you and, free, and leaves you stranded and unsure, there's a place you can go. And so Jonathan requested David, if I'm alive, show me Hesed, show me the loyal love. And if I'm not here, would you show it to my descendants? So David promises not just loyalty to Jonathan, he promises that he'll show it to all the house of Jonathan, follow after him, and he does. So now 15 years have passed. We get to 2 Samuel 8. And 2 Samuel 8, remember we talked about just a little bit ago, is, says that God had delivered David from all the enemies and David was reigning in equity and justice. He has peace. God's promise to David was fulfilled, right? And it's at that time. That's why John, now do you see why 2 Samuel 9's here? Because when God had fulfilled all those promises to David, David sits back and one day he's sitting there on his throne and it gets a little bit quiet and he remembers this is what Jonathan said. When this day comes, would you show kindness? And so he throws out this question to his, 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 his counselors and his servants. And he says, hey, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I could show kindness to? And this one named Ziba comes up 
And it's important, I think, to notice what Ziba says. When, uh, when David says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Uh, what's Ziba's answer? Yes, there is a son of Jonathan, but he's just a cripple. He's dismissive. He, he acknowledges that there's a son, uh, uh, there's a grandson of Saul, a son of Jonathan, but he says, but he's just a cripple. And isn't that like the world, the graceless world that we live in? That people are defined by and valued by, based upon uh, what they could contribute to society, based upon their beauty, based upon their perfection, based upon their intellect, based upon uh, their, their health, based upon their work ethic, based upon their morality. And however well you perform, whatever you can contribute, if you're gonna look good in the king's house, like to bring him home, he's saying, and have him here in your house, and that's not gonna look good on you. He's just a cripple. He's not gonna add anything to who we are. There's a graceless response from Ziba. And I think for us, it's important for us to acknowledge that the graceless world that we live in, oftentimes we feel the same way. In fact, when uh, just a little bit later when Mephibosheth comes home and he's there, Mephibosheth's going to come into David and he says, why should you show grace to a dead dog such as I? It's a colloquial kind of a slang term from their world. Like, man, I'm just roadkill. That's, what he, that's how he defines himself to David. He says, look, I'm, I'm just roadkill on the, on the pavement of this earth. Why would you care to bring me home and to make me one of your sons? He doesn't see his value to the king. See, one of the dangers we have of living in a graceless world is that we might begin to, to listen to the voices of the Zebas in our lives. We might begin to listen to the voices that, that look down upon us. And high schoolers, can I say this to you? Social media doesn't define you. Follows and friends don't define you. Don't allow the zebras in your social media world that unfollow or that give negative comments or that, uh, that backlash on you, don't allow those voices to be so loud that they begin to define who you are. Because the reality is that you're of great value. But oftentimes when we listen to those voices, we begin to think that we're just a dead dog. And I'm just roadkill on the face of the earth. I'm not of great value. But do you understand what David does? What's David say? Ziba says, there's a son, he's just a cripple. What's David said? Where is he? Go get him, I want him. David doesn't even acknowledge the, the comment that he's a cripple. He overlooks all that, runs past it all, and just says, hey, where is the guy? Go get him and bring him to me. I want him to be a part of my house. And so he sends this entourage out to go and collect Ziba, but he doesn't even acknowledge the fact that, that he's broken. Now, 15 years have gone, uh, have passed with no contact at all. It might be hard to imagine Ziba getting this invitation, right? Like all of a sudden you hear, uh, like this, this, this entourage from the king shows up uh, in Transjordan, this, in this place in Lodabar, this land of nothingness where he's been kind of making a life for himself. And all of a sudden they say, hey, the king wants you. Now, uh, whether you've seen Braveheart or Game of Thrones or stuff you probably shouldn't watch or whatever else, there's one thing most of those shows get right, which is that, that enemies, uh, potential enemies of kings are in great danger, right? And so in that, what, what Mephibosheth could be as a son of Saul is he could be a rival to the throne of David. So if he shows up and there's all of a sudden an entourage going, hey, the king wants you, he might be going like, wants me for what, right? And so there's this, there's this concern, there's this fear, and he's brought home. And David, it says immediately he falls down when he comes before David and he pays homage. Meaning he got down on his face before the king and laid there in a humble position where his face is smelling the dirt of the ground. There's a humility that's there. 
And can you imagine the scene for a crippled man to come walking in to the king's throne room? And as he does, and you kind of hear this, in fact, even in the text, you see this, um, this comment where it says, um, where, where it describes him and describes who he is. And it's David, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. And I kind of imagine that he's announced that at the, at the request of King David, Mephibosheth, son of Saul, a grandson of Saul, son of Jonathan is here. And he walks in on his crippled feet with whatever crutches that he's able to manage and then stands before the king. And in that, imagine with two crippled feet, what it, the difficulty it would have been for him to get down on his knees, to bow before the king and to put his face to the ground and all of these people watching. And in that humility, how is it that, that he's greeted by David? There's an exclamation point next to Mephibosheth. That means is he was greeted with an explosion from David. Mephibosheth! And he welcomes him. Uh, part of me always wondered if, if he sees something in Mephibosheth's eyes that remind him of his friend, Jonathan. You know, his best friend in the world. This is his son he's never seen. He hasn't seen since he was five years old. And he greets him and he sees him and this crippled son falls down before him and he just exclaims, Mephibosheth! And I, I wonder if he, if he just says, I see Jonathan in you. And he welcomes him. And you notice the first thing David says to him, do not fear. Do not fear. Surely I will show you kindness. Do y'all know the most common command in the scriptures? You know what it is? Do not fear. Of all the things in this book that are commanded for us to do, the, the one that is given to us the most is don't be afraid. Do not fear. That's a pretty astounding thing, isn't it? Does that not say something about human nature and about how life in a graceless world affects us? So that as we walk through a graceless world, we're walking with fears and when we come into the presence of, uh, of a king, that we, would, that we would need to be told fear not. It's a word that we all need but, and we fear because we're used to the kings of this world. We fear because we've been raised by the fathers of this world. We fear because we work for the bosses of this world and the coaches of this world and because we date the people of this world. And because of those hurts and because of those struggles, we have to be told, fear not. You're not just a cripple. You're not just a roadkill. I will surely show you kindness, David says. So then you get to Mephibosheth in verse seven. Let's look what, what the kindness of God looks like. David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. So it gives him protection, right? You don't have to be afraid. I will show you kindness. There's protection. Then he says, um, in all the land of your Saul, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. That's provision. I will give you everything you need. And then he continues, and you shall eat at my table always. That's position. He, he's gonna show him kindness and doing so he gives him protection, he gives him provision, he gives him position. I'm gonna give you everything you need for life and I'm gonna take care of you. And in that, what we see is um, just this incredible blessing, uh, incredible, incredible blessing of David upon the house of Mephibosheth. It's interesting to me that 
David's question of who he wants to provide this to, <clears throat> when, when Ziba says he's a cripple, David just says, he doesn't say, is there anyone that's qualified that I can show kindness to? Is there anyone that's perfect? Is there anyone that's beautiful? Is there anyone that's, that's incredibly moral? Is there anyone that's creative? Is there anyone that's intelligent? He just says, is there anyone left that I can show kindness to? There's an openness to his mercy that he wants to bestow upon people. And in that, he's fulfilling his promise to Jonathan. Remember, Jonathan said, will you not treat me and my descendants with the hesed, the loving kindness of Yahweh? And that's exactly what David's doing. So here's what you need to know. In what David displays to Mephibosheth, we see a glimpse, we see a mirror of, of and kind of a type of the, the love that God has for us. And so the blessings that he gives are the things that we can trust too. And David says, fear not, I will show you kindness. What he's saying is, you will be forever under my care. My loyal love will watch out for you. I will protect you. I will take care of you. I will deliver you. I will not leave you and abandon you. I will not, I will not leave you alone, but I will always keep you safe. David commits to keep him safe as the son of Jonathan, who is his friend. Second, he promises and provision. He says, I will restore to you all the lands of your father, Saul. Now, when Saul had died um, and Mephibosheth and, and his house had fled Transjordan, probably what happened was all the things that owned to Saul fell to David. And so as David is the reigning king and Saul and his family was gone, all of his descendants were gone, probably all of those things um, were still cared for by Ziba, his servant. And so Ziba had, it said, 15 sons and 20 servants and they worked that land and they paid David a, a price of that and they were able to live off that land as well. And David says, now all the things that your father had have been restored, all that you lost in your fall and in the loss of your father and grandfather, I'm gonna restore it and give you back everything that was yours so that you are back in your rightful place. Um, this would have made him an incredibly wealthy man. He's gone from being a dependent in the land of nothingness in, a, in, a, in someone else's house, living off of their proceeds, to now someone who has the, the wealth of a king. And so he's got everything he needs and servants to take care of his needs. So just as his displacement had, had taken everything away, it's all been restored. God's gonna provide for him. Thirdly, we see he gives him position. He says, you'll eat at my table always. It's fascinating in this chapter in 2 Samuel 9, four different times it says, you will eat at my table. Do you notice that? It's almost, it feels redundant, doesn't it? It's almost like God knows we need to hear this. And David knew Mephibosheth needed to hear it. You will eat at my table always. You will eat at my table as a son. You will eat at my table always. He'll have his land here, but he's always gonna eat with me. There's a position. You're a son of the king now. You will be just like a son or a daughter in the king's house and you're gonna sit at the table. And think about this for Mephibosheth as he, as he lumbers in on his crutches every, um, every evening and comes there with all the sons and, and all the daughters of the king and his counselors and everyone around that gigantic king's table. And you can imagine the spread that's there for Mephibosheth to come and slide his crippled legs up underneath that table and enjoy the bounty of the king and the fellowship of the king and the, fellowship, and, and the blessing of all the king's goodness around a table where his brokenness is covered and he's just one of the sons of the king. Can you imagine what that would be like every single night to remember? Because of the hesed of God shown for the sake of another, I've been, I'm being treated as a son of the king, enjoying all his bounty, enjoying all his blessing and enjoying fellowship with him as someone who's in relationship to him. And he says that I will, I will have this place, this position always. This is now where I, this is now where I live. This is my home. Friends, do we need to know that kind of security? 
I love the way commentator Dale Ralph Davis describes this. He says, David goes far beyond any bare requirement. David does not merely spare Mephibosheth's life, but heaps goodness on him. See, Hesed could have meant that he just doesn't kill Mephibosheth like all the other kings of the world did, right? That, that, that could have fulfilled his promise to Jonathan. But because David wants to give the Hesed, not just, not just of the world, but the Hesed of God, he goes way, way overboard in his kindness. It says, David doesn't merely spare Mephibosheth's life, but he heaps goodness on him. He not only protects his life, but restores his inheritance. He not only saves him from the shadow of death, but prepares a table for him. David's kindness goes beyond survival to sustenance. Mephibosheth is cared for by and with the king and will never face destitution. It takes no imagination, but only faith to see that David's hesed is but a faithful reflection of Yahweh's hesed, with whom there is no such thing as bare hesed. There is no bare kindness with God. God always overflows and goes overboard in his kindness to us. Let me ask you this. Is there any reason for David to show this kindness to Mephibosheth? Had Mephibosheth done anything to earn it? Had Mephibosheth done anything to deserve it? No, Mephibosheth was hiding out in the land of nothingness, trying to make a life for himself. And friends, that's where most of us live. Most of us are living in a world that can't fulfill all, our, all of our desires, that can't fulfill the, the needs and the hopes and the dreams that we have. And we're all just struggling away, trying to make a life for ourselves. And most of us feel abandoned and forgotten. And yet there's a king whose heartbeat is to say, is there anyone left that I can show mercy to. And he sins and in his sovereign election calls people home and he brings them home. And to them, he says to people who are fearful, who come humbly, people who bow down and say, look, I have nothing to bring. I have no standing. I have nothing of myself that, has, that, that I can say I've earned to my standing before the king. So I'm just going to fall before you and say, I'm just like a dead dog. And he says to people who come humbly like that, do not be afraid. You're as a son to me. I will protect you. I will always provide for you. And I'm going to restore to you the position that, that was yours in the beginning. And you will always eat with me at my table because I long to have fellowship and friendship with you. Friends, is that good news in the dark world? Is that strong kindness that we need in the midst of a day like this? Friends, I need to, I need to know because I have these thoughts and I have these fears at times that you feel like a dead dog. Sometimes you fall so, so, so flat on your face in your sin that you just come before the king and go, man, Jesus, I'm just a dead dog. I, I've got nothing to, to offer you that should make you love me. And, says, well, I didn't, and our heavenly father says, well, I didn't love you because of what you brought. I love you because of what, what your friend Jesus did. Your friend Jesus gave his life. And because of my promise to Jesus that I would take care of you, that's, that's why you have standing. Not because of your morality, not because of your goodness, not because of your ingenuity, not because of your perfection or beauty, but because of, the, for the sake of another, for the sake of Jesus, our Heavenly Father says, I welcome you to my table. I will protect you, provide for you, and I'll restore your position for the sake of Jesus because that's who I am. That's my hesed. And that's good news for us. But friends like Mephibosheth, we've got to learn to trust the loyal love of another more than we trust our sense of control. See, Mephibosheth could have refused to go home. He could have resisted the call of the king. 
When the king's men came and said, Mephibosheth, come, the king wants to show kindness to you. He could have been fearful. He could have said, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust that. And he could have stayed out. He had to come. And he had to, he had to bow down and he had to receive the king's blessing so that he could be treated as a child of a king. You know, it's fascinating, this book. Um, it's amazing how much it's connected. I, I, you look, think of a passage like Romans 5. You get to Romans 5. And Romans 5 says, um, while we were helpless. Was Mephibosheth helpless? He was. It says, while we were sinners. It was, was Mephibosheth one who was uh, avoiding coming home? He was. It says, while we were enemies. Three, time, three things it tells us Romans 5. While we were helpless and weak, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Friends, Christ didn't die for us because of us, because, because we were worthy. Christ didn't die for us because we deserved it and earned it. Christ died for us because the Hesed of God says, is there anyone that I can show mercy to and show off the kindness of God for the sake and our heavenly Father heart beats to show mercy, looks at Jesus, and because of his promise to our faithful friend Jesus, he comes and calls us home. But we have to come. So friends, if you don't know him, if you've never trusted him, if, you've, if you're still trying to make your way by your own name, by your own ability, by your own goodness, then would you just let that go? Would you just fall at his feet as Mephibosheth did and say, nothing in my hand I bring. I come empty-handed to you. Because in that place, you will hear the voice of Heavenly Father that says, do not fear. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will restore your position. And you will eat with me always. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts with love for your grace and your mercy. Would you so overwhelm us with your kindness? Father, we would not fear. Father, in a graceless world, would you just would you just shine a bright light on the kindness and the hesed that is yours, that seeks to be bestowed upon people. Father, for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen.